it's going to come down to the individual and how badly they want it. See, you know, mm-hmm. we can we we can take a we can lead a horse to to the well to the river mm-hmm. to drink, but we can't make them drink. And mm-hmm. so what I've learned is that is that until you can burn, you can create that fire in mm-hmm. a young person. You can do all the things you want; they're just not going to respond. But when you can, mm-hmm. get, if you can put that fire in there, and so and so, one thing I um, that I do, Jamal, in that regard, is I will offer certain books to young people, and I will mm. and I, I say, read this book, and then when you're done and we have a conversation, I'm going to pay you. So I pay you mm. hundred bucks to read this book. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start Ed Up podcast. Got a special edition of Crucial Conversations today. Jamal and I were really excited to do this interview. I had reached out to Bob Wallace. Actually, I had met him in a group uh, meeting, and immediately this guy just jumped out uh, to me. And and I got to be honest, I'd done some research, but I should have done more because this guy's bio was just amazing. Um, he is an internationally known entrepreneur, especially, you know, in the, in the areas of, of tech. Um, he is an author. He had ran for mayor of Baltimore. We'll get into that. But he talks about like the intrapreneur insight and also kind of the immigrants advantage in this. And, and throughout the entire episode, Jamal and I were just wowed by the emphasis on mindset and, and wanting to improve, but also finding those right fits, right mentors. And even at the clip, at the beginning, the power of reading books that, that surround you with a lot of interesting thoughts and, and, and positive messages. Uh, so for this and many reasons, Jamal and I just loved um, the interview. Also afterwards, uh, Bob had offered us to have a couple of books as giveaways. So if you are interested in winning a book, the best way to do that, we'll, we'll randomly select two lucky listeners. And what you need to do is, uh, number one, uh, give us your favorite part of the show. Give us a quote from it. Um, hashtag it, start ed up, capital S, capital E, capital U, start ed up. And then uh, give us an email and let us know that you uh, were interested in the book. You can email me at, this is probably the easiest and fastest one, dwetrick at gmail.com. That's D-W-E-T-T-R-I-C-K at gmail.com. Once we get those emails, we will literally randomly select two, and then we'll email you back uh, if you give us your address. Don't give me your address in the first email, (laughs) but if we let you know that you uh, are the lucky winner, we will mail you out a copy of one of Bob's books. Again, special thanks to Bob for making that happen. All right. Uh, as always, we appreciate when you share these. I think this one's going to be really valuable. Um, we love to get more people involved. And so if you want to share this, it means the world to us. And also, somebody that really needs to hear this message today, make sure you pass it along to them. All right. Enough of me gabbing. Without further ado, Mr. Bob Wallace. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Start Ed Up podcast. Crucial Conversations. Jamal, I'm excited about today's episode. Oh, as am I. Yeah, it's um, truly an honor. We've got on Robert Wallace. Robert is a, gosh, serial entrepreneur, serial author, um, keynote speaker, you name it. Uh, the, the, the people he served is the who's who of a Fortune 500 uh, mix and everything else. And we've got him on, on today. So, Mr. Wallace, thank you so much for being on the show. 
Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. So um, before the show, we we're talking a little bit about, you know, one of the reasons why I was excited to talk to you and, and, and Jamal as well. You know, in a day and time where we start talking more and more and, and rightfully so about equity and access, I, I don't hear as much equity and access talk when it comes to innovation entrepreneurship. Uh, so let's let's start there. Um, as a person that has seen a lot of success uh, as a minority entrepreneur, um, what was your formal education in entrepreneurialism and uh, and where do you think this is going for students of color here in 2020 and moving forward? Well, you know, I was raised in in South Baltimore in the projects there. Uh, my, my mother was a janitor. My father was a laborer. I had five brothers. Um, I was the first child to go to college uh, and not go into the war or into the military. So my older brothers were were career have become career soldiers, spent time in Vietnam and the Persian Gulf War. And so they are career military. I was the first child to go to college. I've always um, I've always seen entrepreneurship um, as a child and didn't quite understand it. And in my neighborhood, um, the, the people who owned the stores did not look like me. And I always felt, felt, felt that that was a curious situation. And uh, as I got older, I began to understand it better. So when I was able to, to attend business school at the Amos Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth, that was where I really dug in into uh, you know, minority entrepreneurship, women entrepreneurship, because I was disappointed that there was very little little representation, very little um, involvement of people of color and women at that time in entrepreneurship. And I always felt that the greatest inequality in our, in our society, um, although some would argue that it was you know, voting rights and, and human rights, and I think that's true to, to a large degree, but I feel that the economic inequality has always been the biggest impediment for our for our, our nation, and so my focus as a graduate student at Dartmouth was to look into what we need to do to increase the number of of, of African American, Latino American entrepreneurs, and what we need to do to sustain their participation in the in the economy, and participation in the wealth creation opportunities in our nation. So that's what's been driving me. And I agree with you, that still remains, in my opinion, one of the greatest inequalities that we need to resolve. So so let me ask you um, something. I know with entrepreneurship, especially in you know our community or the minority communities, fear is something that is associated with having your own. Uh, I think a lot of people w- would say that, or were taught to say, well, go get a good job, but yes. not create for yourself. So. Talking to someone who's in that position, they're, they're up and coming, they're a student or they're about to transition into college life. What do you tell them um, to do or how do you build them up to overcome that fear of doing it yourself and not depending on an entity to provide for you? Absolutely. And, and certainly, Jamal, I was raised in that same environment as a child. Mm-hmm. I was raised to, you know, get a good education, then go get a good job and mm-hmm. be happy with that. Right. So I worked at IBM. I worked at DuPont. I worked at Procter and Gamble. Um, so I've done the, I've done the corporate thing. But I always knew that if I was to really um, leverage the, the God given gifts that I had been given, I had to be out there as an entrepreneur to make that happen. 
And if you ever read my first book, Jamal, it's called Black Wealth Through Black Entrepreneurship. And in there, I talk about this principle that I call the immigrant mentality, the immigrant mm-hmm. mentality. And, mm-hmm. and what I suggest is, is, that, is, is that that is the mentality that, 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 that many of us started out with, but then, mm-hmm. then as, as, we, as we are socialized, we tend to lose it. What is mm-hmm. the immigrant mentality? Well, if you look at you know, immigrants to our country in past and in present, they come, they're newcomers, they're new players, they cannot depend upon the system to mm-hmm. take care of them, so they become self, um, self-oriented or they become self-directed. And they recognize that if I don't figure out something here on how to make a living for my family, I'm not going to mm-hmm. make it. And that is a certain mentality and a mm-hmm. certain drive that, that I think that we need to have. And so I teach people, whether uh-huh. you are indigenous to America or not, I tell uh-huh. them to take on the immigrant mentality. Um, doesn't matter what color you are. If you are a recent immigrant to this nation, you're going to take on certain characteristics. That's, that's why you see in many urban centers, many of our mm-hmm. economic activity is comes from recent immigrants, right? Yep. From the Caribbean, from Southeast mm-hmm. Asia, from India, mm-hmm. because they understand if they don't if they don't figure out this economic system, um, mm-hmm. you know, di- directly and independently, they will not um, survive. And so I, I I would say to young to your students. They need to take on the immigrant mentality, whether they've been, whether their family has been here for generations or whether they are recent newcomers to America. They need to 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 leverage what I call the immigrant mentality. So as so yeah. as you were saying that something, something the, the, the immigrant mentality and, and something that also keeps uh, people in, in a place is welfare. Um, yeah. I know that mm-hmm. I know that, you know, growing up. Uh, part of my life in the projects, I would see three generations of people in in the projects. My grandma lives here, my mom lives here, my sister, yeah, and like, sure. I'm here, like we're all here and we're provided yeah, sure. for. And I don't feel like I really need to um, go out and, and make something for myself. What do you say to someone who's in that position and how do you get them to think outside of the box and overcome that? Yes, sir. That is a great question, sir. Let me say this from, from a context standpoint. So mm-hmm. when I was a kid, there were there were moments when mom and daddy had to get on welfare, right? Mm-hmm. You know, daddy, daddy lost his job. Mama couldn't make enough money as a janitor, and we needed help, right? Mm-hmm. And the purpose of welfare was to help people to get through a rough spot, a dry period, right? Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that most people that I know, uh, Jamal, who are, are on welfare, um, were not proud that they were on welfare. They were not mm-hmm. proud that they had to use food stamps. And so two mm-hmm. things I would say to your, to your students who come from that environment. Number one is, is, is the parents have to be intentional about telling their children that what we're going through now is temporary. This mm-hmm. is not a permanent lifestyle, young lady, young man. That's the first thing I would say. The second mm-hmm. thing I would say to your students is, they have to acquire, if they haven't learned it already, they have to acquire the, the power, learning how to dream, learning how mm-hmm. to dream. See, when I was a kid and we were poor and we were in poverty and I knew it. And it wasn't until I went to integrated schools with upper middle class white kids that I began to see, man, we really are poor. We don't have a lot of resources mm-hmm. compared to mm-hmm. these other kids. And so that helped me to understand that, you know what, I'm not satisfied with, with the quality of life that we have today. 
So my dream was to get out of poverty. I wanted, at that point in my life as a teenager, I wanted just to, to get out of poverty, get a good job, make a decent living, so I didn't have to live day to day and week to week. And so I think, I think Jamal, the power of a dream. And I think that what happened, especially in our school systems, we don't teach our kids to dream. We gotta teach them to dream. And right. I can tell you that by God's grace, every, almost every dream I've had, I've been able to achieve, right? Mm-hmm. By God's grace, right? Because that dream, dreams have power. Dreams have power. Because as a man or woman think of in their heart, so are they. Mm-hmm. So if I can change a child's thinking, I can change their behavior. If I can change their behavior, I can change their habits. If I can mm-hmm. change their habits, I can change their outcomes. If I, change their, if I can change their outcomes, I can change their life. You know, so look, I think me, that process is critical. Yeah, let me, let me uh, double down on that and also press back. Um, I think plenty of kids know how to dream. They just don't know how to set goals and metrics. I want to be uh-huh. rich. I'm going to uh-huh. be uh, fill in your, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be a whatever. Yeah. Um, it's the, it's the, you, you, when you said habits, cause like the, it's just funny. We're, we're, what we're really talking about was unattended consequences. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, like uh-huh. when you started talking about like, I know like Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this a lot and heck a couple weeks ago, I was just in Phoenix Scottsdale area. And I was with, you know, three guys from Lithuania and they were killing it. Why? Because when they, you know, when they got here, they're like, there's no safety net. Right. I like, because right. where we're from, there is no safety net. And so that's correct. that, that, that mentality of I've got to provide for myself because the Calvary is not coming. That's so, correct. so I, I like, how do you instill that habits? Right. Cause like, and, and that's why like the, the entrepreneurial mindset has always been so keen. And what I wanted to do is because mm-hmm. that, that reliance on, you know, what Jamal was talking about, like, you do have some of your dreams robbed if you know that you're going to have your minimal things taken care of. Okay, well, I don't need to worry about it. Do, by no means do I want a lot of kids running around stressed that they don't know where the next meal is going to come from. But there's that, there's that delicate balance of how do you create good entrepreneurial habits? And by the way, yeah, like, like both Jamal and I always, are always really cognizant of saying, we don't believe that everybody should be an entrepreneur. Thinking like one. I agree. Yes. Yes, I agree. Yes. Totally agree. I so totally how, agree. I so totally how, agree. how do you, where, where, where does that balancing act of saying, Hey, look, we don't want you to stress about your next meal. So therefore treat uh-huh. this like, um, a temporary thing, like you said, but like, it's not enough to dream, set goals, do something, get yourself there. Yeah. Where does that start? Yeah. And, and, and can that live in today's school culture? Well, see, I think with, with, with educational leaders like Jamal, I think it can. And, and and I would I would say Don I, I would say that, that that as I have I mean I have the opportunity to touch tens of thousands of, of people many of them young people and I would disagree a little bit in the sense that I find though Don that that um, most people don't really dream especially young people so you know I find that they that, that they uh, have become so hopeless and, and helpless that they think you know. My reality today will be my reality tomorrow. Now, so, but, but having said that, I think there are three aspects that we need to train not only our young people, but really as I, as I coach other entrepreneurs and soon to be entrepreneurs, I give them three things you need to do. The first thing you got to do is you got to establish the reality of your current situation. So if you're in a bad place, you need to recognize I'm in a bad place. 
If you're in poverty, you need to recognize I'm in poverty. So that is that is the anchor point that you start with. Then from there, then that's where the dream comes in. That's the second point. It's the dream. Because the dream, what the dream provides you is a destination point, right? Mm-hmm. From where you are today to where you want to be at some point in the future. The third point, Don, which is to your point, is the pathway. The pathway. How do I bridge the present with the future? And that's where people like Jamal and you come in and myself, mm-hmm. that we show these young people a pathway. Now, in mm-hmm. my case, my pathway was math and science. I was always a gifted, I always did well in, in school, guys. I was, a, I was a scholar athlete. I always found school to be easy, not easy, but I always got great grades. And so, and so for me, my gift was in math and science. Consequently, mm-hmm. my pathway from, the, from my present of poverty to my future of prosperity was through science and mathematics. So my pathway took on learning modules that would drive me that pathway to get to the future. Now for you, it may have been, it maybe it's music or maybe it's uh, art or, you know, those kinds of things. But for me, it was engineering and science. That was my pathway. I never forget when I was in high school, when first, I went to my first integrated school and I became friends with a, a, a white kid from a, a very nice neighborhood in Baltimore City. And we became friends. And one day he invited me to his home for the weekend. And what I saw at his home changed my life, right? Because they had this, this big Victorian house with a wraparound porch. They had these different rooms. They had a, a, a family room, a mud room, a, a, a living room. You know, every child had their own bedroom, had their own bed. I came from an environment where we had eight boys into one bedroom, sometimes two or three kids to a bed you know, with little thin mattresses. I mean, it was just, the contrast was amazing to me. And so I really became interested in that dynamic. So I asked his father, I said, sir, what do you do for a living? He said, well, Bob, I'm an engineer. Hmm, checkpoint, got it. And I said, sir, how do, you, how do you make a living to live like this? He said, well, Bob, I own my own business. I said, hmm. checkpoint, got it. Hmm. That was the setting of not only the dream, but the pathway. So for Bob Wallace, that meant, okay, I've got to become an engineer like Mr. Swartz's, like, like Jeff's dad, and I have to become an entrepreneur like Jeff's dad. So the pathway for me was created. And I think Jamal, people like Jamal can set the pathway and mm-hmm. set the pathway for these kids by introducing them to people like you and I, right, mm-hmm. who have done it and who love them and who care about them and who mm-hmm. are willing to share the pathway to help them get there. Does that make sense to you guys? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So just just to kind of piggyback or just double down on something that you said, yeah, a lot of times when students come into my office, I, I deal with, I, I have to process discipline as an assistant principal. And a lot of times they'll come into my office and I'll, and I'll ask them, okay, so what were you thinking? And it's always, I don't know. And I'll say, what was your plan? And sometimes they'll say, I don't know. And then or they'll say, well, I wanted to do this and, you know, to get gratification. And, and, and I always try to challenge them to, to, to think about, well, you know, what, what, are you, what are you hoping? Because normally when I'm processing discipline, they are, you know, I'm either putting them in the ISS, launch attention. It's, it's nothing that, there's nothing inclusive. But I always try to end like, like, what are you hopeful? What are you dreaming? And a lot of times those kids, those kids look at me and say, wow. Like, I don't know. I've never, I said, have you ever thought about that? Well, well no, yes. I haven't. I haven't thought about it. Um, so yes. just the, the conception of the dream within itself. But you mentioned something. 
you mentioned something about how you had an experience with a friend who was outside of your network. And one of the hard, one of the hardest things to do is to network with people who are not like you. So if we're talking to a group of students, how do we, how do we get our students of color to understand the power of networking and what is the pathway for networking? Absolutely. Well, I think Jamal, that, that is an area that I think someone like you could be very intentional um, to make happen. I, I give an example. I, I recently, this past um, election cycle, I ran for to become mayor of Baltimore City. So I took off my, my entrepreneur hat, if you will, and put on my political hat. And I said, I want to become the next mayor of Baltimore City. Um, I ran as an independent, not as a Democrat nor Republican. And I came in second place, um, got about one, one third of the votes in, in the city. But one of my part of my platform, though, Jamal, was something I called connectedness. And what I meant by that is, is that in the city of Baltimore, you have the haves and the have nots. You have the, mm-hmm. po- the poor, you have those who are who are prospering. And my plan called connectedness was to intentionally build pathways that would allow those who were prospering in Baltimore to interface with those who were struggling in poverty. And I had programs in place that would put these people in the same room at the same time. See, I think, Jamal, that somebody like you in, in, in the role that you're in, you have the power and authority to put these people in the same room at the same time. So you put people like me and other and Don and others, you put them in a the room with these kids, right? And you expose them to a different world. See, see, my weekend at my friend's Jeff, Jeff's house, that was exposure for me because I could visually now see what I could be and what I wanted out of life. Okay. No, like I, I like what you're saying because in, in some ways that, that's kind of really the festering sore that what I was getting at earlier is that like when, when Jamal and I first became friends, he came and visited and I was telling him about what my students were doing. And he's like, and and we were doing exactly what you said. I mean, we, we were calling on people, we talked about this off air, so some of the people that were, you know, calling into the class, you know, Tim Ferriss and Naveen Jain and some of these other people. Mm-hmm. And and so they they had uh, what we started to call the arrogance of belief. Like the, these, mm. kids, these kids were like reaching out to major A-list people because they found out they're like, hey, I'm important because there's not a lot of 17-year-olds out there that are trying to solve this problem. And that was the mindset mm-hmm. we gave them. Like, why why shouldn't you reach out to Mark Cuban? Why shouldn't you reach out to so-and-so? And so and Jamal was like, okay, I, like, like my school right now, we're not, we're not there yet. And, I, and, and that, that was one of the problems is, is that I agree with you. And that's, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I cherish Jamal so much is that he is instilling that because the, the, um, when I, when I said, you know, art, when I said kids already dream plenty, I just realized that, that you also painted a different reality. The kids that were, and again, I'm not in the classroom anymore. I'm, I'm, you know, running Innovate Within now. But like, kids in my classroom did have dreams. They just didn't set goals. When you painted the picture of the kids that were in the day to day that they didn't like it, they weren't dreaming. And boy, that hit home. And I started thinking about that. But I think it's one of the reasons why Jamal and I have this podcast. He has a different perspective, and I have a different perspective. But we're both trying to get to the same reality. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So, so I, I before before we move on to a new topic, I do want to ask you this. So what if what if I'm a student or someone and I don't have anyone to put me in the same room 
as someone who can potentially change my life? How do I navigate that? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, Jamal. You know, Jamal, I, I think that um, it's going to come down to the individual and how badly they want it. See, you know, mm-hmm. we can we we can take a we can lead a horse to to the well to the river mm-hmm. to drink, but we can't make them drink. And mm-hmm. so, what I've learned is that is that until you can burn, you can create that fire in mm-hmm. a young person. You can do all the things you want; they're just not going to respond. But when you can, mm-hmm. get, if you can put that fire in there, and so and so, one thing I um, that I do, Jamal, in that regard, is I will offer certain books. To young people and I would hmm. and I, I say read this book and then when you're done and we have a conversation I'm going to pay you so I'll pay you a mm. hundred bucks to read this book now most people wow. can relate to financial incentives <laughs> right mm-hmm. especially young people right so read mm-hmm. this book so what are the books I'm talking about well of course I would say my book but but even before my book Jamal I would say mm-hmm. Napoleon Hill Think and Grow Rich right mm-hmm. you know the real the real small version um, mm-hmm. There's certain books that if you can just get the spark started mm-hmm. in those kids, then it will become a flame. Then it will become a, mm-hmm. a raging fire, I've learned over time. But you first have to incentivize them. And I find mm-hmm. that, that financial incentives to get young people to read a book right, mm-hmm. and then have a conversation about the book is one mm-hmm. way to get that, that flame started. Wow. Oh, wow. So I, I got to ask, I mean, um, in doing some research on you, you, you want to, uh, I guess, what is locally known as BPI, uh, but Baltimore Polytech Institute. Um, yes, sir. What made, so did you ask to go there? Were you selected? Did you like, because obviously I'm seeing a correlation of going to a place like BPI and then you starting tech companies. But like, what was that initial spark? Like, I really want to go there or were oh, you selected? Yeah. Great question, John. So, so. The truth be told, right? My dad made me go to BPI, Baltimore. <laughs> all right. Now, at that time, you know, just some context here. At that time, Poly is called Poly Polytech. Poly was an all-boys school. It was predominantly white. It's probably ninety percent white when I went there. Um, we had just started integration in, in Baltimore in the, in the early late sixties, early seventies. So it's a recently integrated school. It was a nerdy school because all the kids that went there were smart, smart techie kids and, and science and mathematics. So I didn't want to go there. I wanted to go where the girls were. I wanted to go where, you know, where, to, a, to a co-ed school. And my dad, my dad said, heaven to the no, you are going to Poly. So my dad made me go. No, he made me go to Poly. And that's one of the best things that could have happened to me because it really transformed my life. And the other thing that it did, and this is important, uh, guys, it, for me, is once I got to this school, and as I mentioned, I was always a good, I've always been a good student, an A student. So even at that school, I was getting A's, right? And what it showed me was there was a paradigm shift for me. And the paradigm shift was, gee, if I can compete here on this level, then I can compete on any level at any school. Mm-hmm. So when it was time to apply to colleges, okay, I primarily applied to Ivy League schools. Because my professors at Poly, my professors at Poly, they told me they convinced me <laughs> whether it's true or not, I'll never know. But they convinced me, hey, you're a smart kid, you're a hardworking kid. We think you can compete at this level, 
And so we're mm. going to help you. So I had these two these two white guys at, at power. Never forget them. Two white instructors, right? Mr. Knighting and Mr. Sanford. Never forget these men. And they took me by the hand and they mentored me to apply to these schools. And so that paradigm shift occurred at that school because these two men took the time and saw something in me that they wanted to bring out. And I wouldn't be here today were not from those men and many other people, by the way, mom and mm-hmm. daddy, grandmama, granddaddy, but, but there's so many people who helped me along the way. Wow. Wow. I have a, go ahead. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> wow. Cough button. Go ahead, Jamal. <clears throat> no, I, I was about to say, I have a, I have a very similar uh, experience in, in the fact that the first time that someone told me that, that I was smart was in, was in high school and, mm-hmm. uh, and that I could, that I could do anything that I wanted to do. It, it was, uh, my principal, Dr. Sandy uh-huh. Duncan, and, she, uh-huh. and she looked at me and she said, uh, you know what, Jamal, you're smart and you're black. You can do right. anything you want to do. And right. I had never, I had never heard that in all my years of schooling. And I mm-hmm. hadn't heard that until the ninth grade. And once she told me that she took me into the office, and put me in all honors classes. Absolutely, and, that's right. And from and from that point, like I knew that she believed what she was saying because she put me in a place to cultivate what she saw. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was from there that I had the the experiences and the journey that I've had as a result of just that one shift. And I always tell people that um, you are a trajectory changer. If you are in a position of power. Your intentions Amen. alone change the trajectory of the people that you are called Amen. to to lead. So it's 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 interesting to hear that you had a, a similar experience years before I was born. You bet, Jamal. And Jamal, look at how that changed your life. As you said, yep. look at how that changed the trajectory of your life. Right. Mm-hmm. The si- simple words. There is, you know, and I tell teachers teachers all the time. There, there's power in words. And I, mm-hmm. and I tell my kids, I have five kids and, and nine grandkids, and mm-hmm. I taught my kids as they become parents. I said, never say anything to your child that you do not want to be true. Mm-hmm. And so you speak words of encouragement. You speak mm-hmm. words of greatness. You speak words of possibility. You speak mm-hmm. words of potential. You speak those words because mm-hmm. those kids are like sponges. Mm-hmm. Well, I know you guys, you and I know this. They're like sponges. Everything mm-hmm. you say they soak it up. Mm-hmm. So give them goodness. Give them goodness. Give them encouragement. Mm-hmm. Give them potential. And like you, Jamal, I had the same thing. Except mine started with my grandparents. My grandparents mm-hmm. said, son, you can be anything you want to be. You are a child of God, and you are, you are destined to do great things. And they kept saying that and saying, saying that. Now, they were all, of course, they were all African Americans. But then mm-hmm. I get to Poly High School, and these two white guys, these two white men, <laughs> Tell me the same thing. Say, Bob, you are destined for greatness, and we're going mm-hmm. to help you, right? So words have power, Jamal. You are absolutely correct. And I know that you and Don speak those words, but some teachers don't. Some teachers don't speak the words. Well, And I, it gets back – I'm sorry, Don. Go ahead. No, I, I, I want to jump all over that because <laughs> words, words are powerful. I, and I'm not going to go political on this one. <laughs> but but I like conversations are powerful. And I yes, saw sir. like several opportunities where 
you wanted to debate people. I, I think it was uh, uh, 40, uh, Channel 45. And people are like, no, yeah. I, don't, I don't want to. And, 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 I'm, yeah. and again, I'm not going to talk about your campaign specifically. But uh-huh. there are several opportunities that we could have conversations that don't have to be political. We can have several Amen. conversations where you don't necessarily have to have a winner or loser. Just the power of ideas. Everything that you've said today has been so powerful, but also undisputed. I don't care if you're independent, Democrat, Republican, Green Party, Libertarian, Communist, Socialist, whatever. The things you have said are human. And yet the power of conversation keeps getting shut down. Well, I'll only appear on this channel if it's endorsed by Fox. I will only appear on this channel if it's endorsed by MSNBC. These things frighten me because they are the death of innovation. They are Uh the death of entrepreneurship. Like gotcha moments. I was saying, yes, oh, 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 you said a word that's like, yeah, some things right, are going right. to be uncomfortable. Some things are going to be right. tough to get through. And I think that's one of the that's reasons right. why Jamal and I talk every day. And this is one, like, yeah, serious, yeah. this was, full disclosure, this was Jamal's idea of saying, we need to have crucial conversations because I, <laughs> suburban white guy, kept getting an interesting education from Jamal and vice versa. Uh-huh. And so we're uh-huh. like, uh-huh. we knew that we'd be criticized from time to time. But like sure, it's sure. the the power of conversation is so needed, and right, and right. how are you working past that frustration? Because I, I'm I did my research for you, like mm-hmm. like does is how do you plan on breaking past that? No, I don't want to talk and have these conversations. Well, you know, you know, Don, I, I think that's a good point. I, I think the the key is is not being afraid, not not being afraid of failure. I mean, you know, people ask me, they said, well, Bob, what, what makes you think that you'd be the best mayor of Baltimore city? I mean, you, you know, yeah, you've been successful in business and you from Baltimore went from the projects to, you know, to success in business, but what makes you, what quality do you bring to the table that none of the other candidates bring? And I thought for a moment, Don, I said, you know what, there, there are many things I could say, but the biggest one I would tell you is that I am not afraid to fail. I am not afraid to fail. You see, when you take away somebody's fear of failing or even fear of death, then you yeah. have just created, you, you have just created a, a monster because mm-hmm. if you could, because then you can do nothing to me that I'm concerned about. And therefore mm-hmm. that frees me up. That frees me up to be the man that I was designed to be. And so I told them, I said, you know what? I'm not afraid to fail. Now my, my opponents, they need jobs. So they're going to be afraid to fail because if they don't get this job right, they have no other job to go to. I said, I don't have that problem. I said, I don't need this job as mayor. I don't need the money. I don't need people to invest in my campaign. I pay for it myself, right? And that gives you a sense of power that people, these institutions are afraid of. And we need to, mm. we need more men, we need more men and women who are not afraid, who are not afraid to stand up and say what needs to be said with, with respect, with respect yeah. right? mm. and, and, and understanding, but to say it and be able to stand, withstand the arrows and attacks that will come and they will come. Wow. No, I, again, I'm not making this a Baltimore centric podcast, but like it is Understood. the, well, man. <laughs> well, but it is the, like you said, the bravery. Cause like, and again, try, sorry about going back to Baltimore, but I saw the same thing with Kim Klasik. 
Uh, you know, I, I mean, we, we've covered the, the spectrum now. We've talked about Republicans and independents and, and, and Democrats, but like, like I, I, but I also saw horrible things written about her because she was, she was saying many things that you're saying that, you know, this, yes, po- this yes. more positive mindset that let, let, let's end the way we've always done it for a new hope. Um, but uh-huh. like, cause I, earlier last year I was asked to run for an office and my dad was like, please don't. He's like, not while I'm alive. He's like, why would you ever want, why would you ever want? And the thing, and, and I love my dad, but he was like, yes, wouldn't that bother for, wouldn't that bother you for people to say things about your family? And I'm like, yeah, it would. And, and so would. when you said the bravery of not letting it bother you, A, Jamal and I applaud you because I don't know how you do it. Like, <laughs> it would just anger me to know, I don't know. Jamal, you're about to jump in, I'm sorry. No, I was, I was, I just said, I was agreeing with you. Uh, you know, the, the thing, the thing with what he said, and, and I said this to you, uh, one of our mornings in our morning talks, uh, before we kind of get it going, uh, those people don't pay our bills. Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. <laughs> and the, the most freeing thing that like, just like uh, Bob said, the most freeing thing that a, a person can have is not the fear of failure because the thing mm. the thing that I'm hearing is if you allow people to make you those people can break you but if you're yes, independent sir. if you're independent of people being the epitome of your existence uh, that's why I like we you know Instagram and being famous and all those things you get a hundred thousand likes those same people stop liking liking your stuff and then you go into like this 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 pit but if you're independent of that you can focus on doing what's right. It's easier for you to make tough decisions because now I, I, I'm I'm not I'm my heart is not designed to make people happy. It is designed to create a system or a a a world in which the right things are happening for the right reasons. And I can reach and I can extend. And just like you said, Bob, I can be who God has called me to be. That's correct. That's correct. You know, I remind young people all the time, you know, I tell them that you cannot solve your problem, whatever your problem is. It could be poverty. It could be, you know, a spiritual battle. It could be whatever it is. You cannot solve your problem until you own your problem. You see, Mm -hmm. when you blame somebody else for your situation, then you, in essence, you give them the power to control your life. Mm. So there's, there's, there's no question that I'll just say Jamal and I, uh, Jamal and I are African-American men. There's no mm-hmm. question that racism is an issue in our society. And I know right. in my case, I, and I was suspecting Jamal's case, he mm-hmm. faces racism every single day of his life. Now, mm-hmm. is racism real? You bet it is. Mm-hmm. But if I allow racism and I blame that, on why I have not been able to do ABC, then I am giving racism the power over my life. So what I do is I take control of my life and I say, despite racism, despite sexism, despite classism, whatever ism you want to use, I own my life. I am responsible for Bob Wallace. And therefore Mm -hmm. it's up to me to overcome the situation. And I cannot blame something else, even though that's real, but I can't blame it and leave it at that. All right. Let me tell you how much that resonates. And and, and again, why I value our time with Jamal so much, because it also might put you in a mindset that everyone is. 
right? Or, 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 or I'll just speak on behalf on, on a white male. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. before um, this, like Jamal said, they don't pay your bills. I feared saying, I, I feared making the slip up. Like every mm-hmm. now and then I'll mm-hmm. ask Jamal a sincere question because I don't right. know. Well, somebody right, might take right. that as being offensive or, or, sure. or, or not sure. sensitive. And I'm just like, sure. I just don't know. Now, sure. it, it, you know, because you could go off a tangent, well, you don't know because you were privileged and, you know, and like, no, not really. I was raised by, you know, a, a teacher and a stay-at-home mom. But mm-hmm. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm asking this question out of sincerity. And so I, I, I circling back to the crucial conversations thing, this is why I love these conversations because is there racism out there? Oh, hell yeah. But is yes, there a is. lot of people, is there a lot of people that would love the opportunity for conversations, but are afraid that somebody might say the exactly. wrong thing? And I think that fear exactly. is prevalent. Exactly. I'll give you a, re- a recent case study to your point and you're right on, on the money on that one. So, so uh, last year, my wife and I, um, I needed a sabbatical from the business. So we, we took six months got on this this ship and we cruised around the world for six months we literally saw the world in that six month time period so we're on this ship not about 900 passengers very small ship and we are my wife and i we're the only african-americans out of 900 yes right we're the only Mm -hmm. african-americans so so the so the first second day on the cruise i go to the gym to work out because i'm really big working out and I, i i get this machine between these these two um, elderly white white women, right? And they're you know they're running, have, get, get, getting in great cardio. One of them turns to me, and she and we start talking small talk. And then she says to me, "Well, are you a professional athlete, or are you part of the entertainment on the ship?" Right. So so this lady's probably in her seventies, and a nice 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 lady, you know, white lady. She said, "Are you are you a, a professional athlete, or are you part of the entertainment?" Now. Your market might be tell you, would tell yep. you. I mean, if you want, if you want to insult an African American man, yep. you know that you're gonna, you're on your way, right? Yeah. So, so, so I was very offended, and really started to, uh, to attack back. But I, I didn't. And she and I finished our workout, and we went our separate ways. I got back to my room, and I was really pissed off, right? Mm-hmm. But then again, but, 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 but then again, I thought about it. I said, well, you know what? Let me apply some grace here. Now, what do I mean by grace? Let me let me assume that this woman versus trying to hurt me or to attack me or belittle me, let me assume that she meant well, but she didn't know what to say or how to say it. Let me assume that. So with that mindset, then the next day I met this lady at the gym and we had a different conversation and we kept meeting at the gym and talking and getting to know each other. Mm-hmm. Do you know that today this woman is probably one of my best friends that I mm. made on that on that world <laughs> trip? And I would have missed I would have missed yeah. that friendship had I not applied grace in that situation. And grace just simply says, let me give this person the benefit of the doubt. Let me assume that they meant well and that they mean well. And let me continue to build upon the relationship and see what happens. In this case, we became very good friends. And I think if all of us learn to use some grace mm-hmm. as we deal with one another, I think we would have a better society and better relationship that we do today. Mm-hmm. Man, I, you, as you were saying that, and it, it took me to uh, a place, you said that you were the only 
black person on on this ship and uh, on the ship and it, it you can probably identify with this i know there were a lot of times w- in which i was in class and i would look around and i was the only person who looked like me yes, uh, sir. yes sir. and and just you know look, just looking up and realizing that i didn't have any problems socially uh, or, or anything like that and and you know now as an administrator i was in a classroom doing an observation i was in an honors class and i saw this light-skinned black boy with glasses on he knew every answer it was a science and he knew every answer and every kid was every kid that was around him was drawn to him and he was answering questions and and he was he was you can tell he was the leader in that classroom and I just mm-hmm. watched him, and 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 I just I, after the class, I didn't want to disrupt the class. After the class, I approached him, and I told him how great he was, and and how he was on his way, and that you know he's going to be in that same situation a lot. And the expectation for him is to have grace and to have people understand who he is and allow people yeah. to uh, adjust to his light. Um, as opposed yeah. to to using the circumstance as as a means to complain, so I, like I encourage him, but it 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 is it is so in, I say inspiring to hear just just that story because when grace is applied and we deal with people, a lot of it comes from just people really trying to understand because it is it's true. Um, I, I don't yeah. even know where that I don't even know where to get on that ship. I didn't know that there was a ship that you can go travel to for for six months. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I kind of I, I, I kind of uh, take take the analogy, and I always uh, when I'm talking about I even talk about Michael Jackson money. You know, what is Michael Jackson? Yeah. Money? Michael, <laughs> Michael Michael Jackson had a giraffe. And you know, you right. ask people, <laughs> you're like, where do you buy a giraffe right. from? You don't have enough money to even know where to buy a giraffe from. What do you get giraffe right, right. like the zoo? Like, no, like <laughs> giraffe money. So, like, you know, so it's it's one of those things, but it's not the norm. Like Michael Jackson it, himself wasn't normal. My child who's three that's years old true. knows who Michael Jackson is. So so it's it, it it's not normal for for people of color to occupy to occupy those spaces. And that is a reality, but without excuse, we can't because you did it. That's a very good point, Jamal. I mean, this this well, first of all, this is a brand new ship, Jamal. A brand new ship. They had never done a world cruise before, so it was the first first time they tried this business model. Um, and, and it was it was interesting because the average age of the passengers on this ship was 75 years old. So we were not only the only African Americans; we were probably the youngest couple, <laughs> okay, on on this cruise, right? So we had a lot of first things going on here. Um, but it was an amazing, amazing experience. And I would never, I would never have gotten through that six month experience had I not applied grace because there were other situations just like this, um, where we, that we had to deal with. And again, most of the people they met well, they met, they just had not had any exposure with people who were different than themselves. And so we had to work, work through that, but by grace, because of grace, we were able to make a lot of friendships that we would have missed had we not, you know, applied grace. I got to, uh, Jamal, I'm probably going to speak for you as well. Uh, we got to have you back on. This has been a breath of fresh air. Would you not agree, Jamal? Yeah, most, <laughs> most definitely. Amen. Amen. Um, I, I, even though we will have you on, uh, let's, Let's go over, like, I, I guarantee a lot of people are hearing this going, what the heck, this guy? Um, uh, 
robertwallace.com is probably a great place to start, right? That's correct. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Robertwallace.com. Google his name. You're going to see a lot of things come up. Uh, he has been featured in, you know, everything from the Baltimore Sun to business journals to a lot of other places. He's, uh, you know, you start digging in. If you, you, you start looking up his books, you're going to find it. Uh, a wealth of resource, but most importantly, um, I, I just want to value or thank you again today for for being on and, and speaking such truth. It's, uh, man, we, we start talking about how important this mindset is in our schools and, and you really zeroed in and, and I appreciate Jamal as well, uh, the, these insights that we're really wanting to, to spread. So uh, sincerely from the bottom of my heart, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Jamal, you got anything else? No, I'm good. Yeah, I, I again, this has been so much fun. Uh, sincerely, well, Robert. Thank you. Uh, yes, thank you for speaking so much truth, and uh, we'll have to have you on again soon. I'd love to keep doing, keep doing good, and putting good things into the universe.